0: Good morning, everybody. Hope y'all are doing all right on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, Wet, but we're dry in here. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to get into the word of the Lord. Just a couple of brief things I want to mention before I actually get started in it. Um, A number of people have asked me for copies of the notes and I'm gonna do that, I haven't forgot. Um, You can get electronic, you can get hard copies, or you can get both, Um, and if you just tell me which one you want, I'll make sure you get it, or if you want both, okay, Uh, everything. And then I've got, you probably don't want this, but I've got my detailed notes, which are, these are just outline forms of those, that you can have also if you really wanna peruse all that, which you probably don't. Um, but I will share those as well. The other thing is, and I think you know this, but there is absolutely no way in a limited part series we're going to cover everything. I- I'm not. I mean, I'm purposely not covering everything uh, about the Godhead. So there is more than what we're going to talk about. So just understand that. Um, you know, and if you're thinking about something and I'm not covering it, it's just I just didn't. And, and sorry about that. But um, that's just how it is. There's just only so many times we get to do this. Um, i'm actually going to i wasn't going to I was going to start part two and i 'm going to get to part two really quick but i 'm actually going to dip back into part one just for a minute because I felt to cover something that I initially thought I would skip and it'll go quick uh, but it's really something I just feel like under the premise of what I feel to do with this series that we need to do so i'm going to we should be on the only doctrine that's taught in the Bible about God is as follows and There are a series of tenets here that if you take the Godhead and you look at it Bible-wide from Genesis through Revelation, that it gives you. And I'm going to read these. Okay, we've already talked about this. There is one indivisible God with no distinction of persons or entities. Okay? Jesus Christ is the fullness of God incarnate. Okay? And all the fullness of the Godhead is represented in him. Jesus Christ is the expressed image of God, of his nature. Okay. Jesus is God the Father, Jehovah of the Old Testament. Jesus is the only God you and I will see in heaven. God wrote himself in flesh, he dwelt among us and gave himself as our sacrifice that we might be saved. He did this as the Christ. And God is a spirit. Okay? And he's invisible unless he chooses to manifest himself as a theophany or as Christ. There, and I promise you, you can study it. There is no other doctrine of God given in his word. None. Now, one of the this this is gonna seem elementary to some of you, but I marvel at this, and and when I was putting this presentation together, I started digging with this, and I just found all kinds of stuff. Some of it I didn't even realize was there. If you do a comparison between Jehovah in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, there are some tremendous parallels that are attributed to Jehovah and Jesus that testify of one God and that God being Jesus. Now, I'm just going to kind of go through these. The Scriptures are cited, but they're both referred to as the first and the last. Now, notice how this is set up. It's going to be God. Uh, go to the next slide, would you? Sorry about that. Okay, so the comparison is in yellow, and then uh, below that it'll be God is, then Jesus is. And you can look these up. It's, I mean, you, you do enough of these, and you're like... How do I even? You know, why would I even question it? But the first and the last, the great I am, I am He, the Rock. Next slide, the Eternal King, Redeemer and Savior. And it's it's all it's 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 all there. Light. Next slide, light, Creator. Led captivity captive, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Next slide. Sending the angel of the Lord. I like this one. Uh, In Revelation 22 and 6, God sent. In Revelation 22 and 16, Jesus is restating as God that he sent the angel. I don't know if you've ever caught that in there. It's really sweet. Um, Almighty, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. Next slide. Sanctifies, answers prayer, draws people to him, sending the comforter. You convinced yet? We keep going. Next slide. Raised Christ's body from the dead, the judge, the shepherd, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. Guys, there can only be one Lord of Lords and one King of Kings. I mean, I'm sure there's more of them in there. That's a lot. God is, Jesus is, one and the same. I just, I just didn't want to skip that. I, I thought, well, oh, that's so elementary. They're not going to want that. But then I think, you know, I feel like the Lord touched my spirits, and you need to go ahead and do that. You show them who I am you realize that that encompasses basically everything he is to us Now either there's Jehovah and Jesus as two separate gods or they're one in the same it's the only the only thing you can get out of that well they're one in the same all right I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to do one other thing I'm going to skip down to Hebrews. I didn't get to this last time and I don't I'm not going to spend much time on this I'm going to move on but um, Hebrews and and I'm going to come back to this in today's lesson. I think I'll get there. But Hebrews chapter 1 is a really interesting chapter. Um, it identifies, starts out in verse 1, it, it starts out with the subject being God. And then it switches over and identifies Christ as his, the brightness of His glory, which is really neat. I'm going to deal with that later. Uh, and then the image of His person. What I want to bring out in this is that Person is actually translated from a a word that means nature. You know, he's the image of God's nature. It's a singular nature. Christ had one nature. Okay, so he's the representation of God's nature. Understand that nature, your nature is who you are. So Christ represented who God was. One God, one Messiah, one nature. I just, I wanted to bring that out. I think that's really, really kind of neat. I think that, I think we'll go on. Let's, let's go on. Part two. I know you've been eagerly anticipating this. <laughs> there is a part three, but I don't. Part three is, if, if I ever get to it, is, uh, I hope, I hope this has been Okay. Oh, okay, I, I I just, I get excited about it every Sunday. I, I love talking about God. The Godhead Part 2, the glory, wisdom, power, and right hand of God. Now, this one is, I'm going to try to put together a lot of pieces here that a lot of people have trouble with. And if I can, God help me, uh, I think it's going to, kind of mesh some things in everybody's mind. I know it has mine in the years in studying it, and it's really helped me make sense of the Godhead. I'm going to read two scriptures. Next slide. Um, But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And that's 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Jeremiah 51 and 15 says, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Just those two scriptures alone will tell you that Jesus Christ is the power, the wisdom of God. How about that? Now, it gets better than that. Um, I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you guys have ever dug into this in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to have a, that's part three. The book of Jeremiah could be put in with those other four books. It's a really powerful oneness book. And it goes really well as a companion with the book of Isaiah. I mean, they they parallel each other, but the book of Jeremiah gives us some unique tangents on the Godhead, which are really interesting. All right, next slide. Let's start out with John 1, 1 and 1, 2, the logos, a closer look. So the Bible says that in John 1, 1 and 1, 2, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Now, word is translated from a Greek word. Word meaning that's the Greek word logos, and this is really important. It means the thoughts, the wisdom, the mental nature or mind of an individual, but it also means the spoken or unspoken word. And in the unspoken word, it's the thoughts. When you see the word logos in there, you're really dealing with kind of like it talked about in Hebrews 1 and 3 nature, person. Who you are. None of you are a distinct person from your own mind. You got to understand that. I am who I am based on what's in here. Well, God's no different. Okay, so the Bible said the Word was with God and was God and was there from the very beginning. If you can look at the Word and look at Christ. As the Word made flesh, in other words, the thoughts and ideas and wisdom and plans of God brought into fulfillment as the Messiah, it makes a whole lot more sense. So he took the idea of Christ, which the Bible says he had that in his mind from the beginning, and he created that flesh, and by the Spirit, he dwelt in it. Jesus Christ was a tangible, now listen to me, he was a tangible extension and representation of an invisible spirit of God. Okay, that's what this is saying. So this morning in prayer, I've been kind of, the last couple of days, something's just been bouncing around in my head and I've been praying about it. It's like, I can't, I know there's something here, but I just couldn't piece it together. And this morning I feel like God said, okay, look, I'm going to help you out here. He laid some things out, and it deals with the word. And I want you just to just listen to this. I wrote this stuff down right after he dealt with me about it, because if I did not forget it. It's not on the slide. God used the, his mind and word to speak all creation into existence. He spoke creation into existence, the spoken word, what was in his mind. You follow God made the word, excuse me, God made the word tangible and manifested by becoming the Christ, okay? Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, declared, this Okay. This brings a whole other meaning to John 1.18 where the Bible says that no man has seen God at any time except as Jesus Christ who declared him. But in John 1.18, God, okay, It says, as the word made flesh, declared God, he, Jesus Christ, spoke of, identified, and represented the invisible God. So listen, he didn't just, he wasn't just the manifestation of God. He spoke as God in authority about himself. Because why? He was the disclosed mind of God. Does that make sense? Okay. God created all existence through Jesus Christ by the power and wisdom of his word his mind. The Bible says that. It was made, the Bible says that through the word he did it. Christ is the word. The Bible says the creation was through Christ, through his mind. All of this is why Jesus Christ is identified as the word, power, wisdom and right hand of God. He is God. God's mind, thoughts, intentions and nature personified actualized and fulfilled. Jesus Christ has declared as the Word, the invisible God, all of his attributes, all of his power. Think, think about that for a minute. Just, we're just dealing with the logos here. I think it's interesting that in Revelation, and I don't, we got a section on this I'm going to get to later. But in Revelation uh, chapter 19, Jesus is wielding as a sword the Word and its power. It says a sword came from his mouth. He's wielding as God the word of God from His mouth, He's speaking the word of God and bringing it into fruition. Okay, now the Bible says that it's through God's word that all things happen and are made. So that's in Hebrews chapter eleven, Peter's three, 5, Peter second, Peter three, five, and seven. And God's power is through His word. You see the connections in that. I just. You know, I was like, hallelujah. I have never looked at it. I've never put all those pieces together because I'm not smart enough. But God said, here, let me line this out for you. So you see the connections here about the Logos. And I was like, oh, wow. Next slide. Let's talk about the right hand of God. I'm going to tie it back into the Logos here in a little bit. You have to understand the significance and the meaning of the right hand of God or the right arm of God. In scripture, it's always symbolic and it's always in reference to his omnipotence. It's always in reference to God's power. There, there's never a physical right hand of God or right arm of God. Now, I mean, God could manifest one, but that's not what the Bible's talking about, okay? So it's, it's, never, it's never a literal thing. It's always symbolic of his power. Now, the Bible states that God is a spirit and this is demonstrated throughout the Word of God. The Webster's Dictionary defines his spirit in part as a supernatural, incorporeal, rational being that is usually invisible, but can manifest himself or herself, whatever, at will when they want to. So in other words, God's going to dwell as an invisible spirit, because that's what he is, but he can, if he wants to, manifest himself. And he actually did a lot of that in the Word of God. Now, number two, next slide. The Bible states that God is invisible. Okay? No man has actually seen the Spirit of God. Number three, people can, however, see the glory of God. Now, a little bit of foreshadowing here. When you see Jesus Christ, you're seeing the glory of God. When you see Him, again, I don't don't like getting the cart before the horses, but when Stephen looked up when they were killing him in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says he looked up and he saw Jesus Christ, sitting on the sitting at the right hand on the right hand of the father in God's glory. Well, he saw, what did he see? He saw Jesus Christ as God in all his glory. That's what he saw. And I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. Number four, people can also see a manifestation of God. If he so chooses, it's called a theophany, which is, you know, and, and it lists a bunch of things on there. You probably can't see them. Maybe you can't a burning lamp, lightning, Cloud, smoke, fire, earthquakes. I mean, you've you've read the Bible. You know that stuff's in there. Now, one interesting theophany to me is a guy named Melchizedek. And I wasn't going to do this, but I'm actually going to diverge on him for a minute because he fascinates me. Okay? Melchizedek was a type of Jesus Christ. But what was neat about Melchizedek is that he was actually God manifested as a man on earth in the Old Testament. And if you look at this, I did a little digging on this. Um, the name Melchizedek is actually a Canaanite name, and it's derived from two Hebrew words meaning king and righteousness or justice. And I like that. Okay, that's what, that's what the name Melchizedek means. Uh, so you can translate the name Melchizedek, king of righteousness, or my king is Righteousness. Well, didn't the book of Jeremiah say that Jesus is the Lord our righteousness? Doesn't it, doesn't it in Hebrews say that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek forever and ever and ever? There's a connection there. Now look, this... I don't know, this is just me. This is not anything I can really prove scripturally. But I think... When Abraham looked on Melchizedek, he saw Christ. He saw what Christ was going to look like. I don't know. this. scripture doesn't say it. But if Melchizedek was a type, and he was the, you know, Jesus was the image of God, why would God, I mean, we don't know, but why would God show him anything else? I don't know. That'd be neat if, it, if that was true. I don't know. I want to read this. This is Hebrews 7. You don't have this, it's not on the slide, but Hebrews 7, 1-3 says this, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a 10th part of all, first being translated, now this is dealing with Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Well, isn't Jesus Christ the prince of peace? There's a relationship here, and it's, it's, it's just, verse 3 says, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Thank you. Thank you. Now, that's a pretty awesome theophany. I would have loved to have been able to just watch that and have some cognition of what was going on there. Next slide, please. Descriptions of the right hand of God or Jesus on the right hand of God or at the right hand of God are symbolic of God's strength, power, omnipotence, authority, and preeminence. That's all it is. It's to show that he is the almighty. Okay, It's to show that Jesus is the almighty and has all power and authority. Now, there's numerous scriptures in the Bible that use or refer to the right hand, right arm of God in these concepts. OK, so power and glory, victory over enemies, a reference to the power of God and salvation as the Christ. Um, we're going to get into the book of Isaiah a little bit later. Um, there's some stuff in there about relating Jesus Christ to the right hand, the right arm of God. It's just, it, it, it just blows me away when I start looking at that. Um, God's power of salvation, deliverance and victory for God's people, creation and omnipotence. These are all, the, the scriptures in these all reference the right arm or right hand of God in those attributes. Okay? Again, those, that's all dealing with the power and, and authority of God. All right, next slide. God's greatness and supremacy, strength and assurance, protection, direction, protection and guidance, salvation of the anointing, God's mighty works, wonders and deeds. Wow. All that stuff references the right hand, right arm of God. But not as a physical right arm or hand. You know, in the Psalms, it talks about God having wings and feathers. He's not a bird. He doesn't have you know, physical wings. That's, that's dealing with protection and comfort. Same concept. He's not a man with a physical right arm or hand either. And that's, that's important. That's important. and It's going to be important here in just a little bit. Now, how does the right hand and right arm apply to Jesus Christ? Okay, we know that Jesus has all power and authority of God. Now, I'm not going to read all these scriptures. I've cited them for you in there. I just can't. I don't have time to do it. Some, I'm going to get to some I want to read in a little bit. Jesus himself declared to have all the power of God. He said he did himself. Okay, that implies if Jesus said I have, you know, he said all power and authority has been given to me. He's identifying himself as God because you can't have two with all power and all authority you got one okay the jews understood this and we talked about this last time but they accused him of blasphemy they wanted to kill him for that because he was making himself to be god okay jesus told peter that he was god in chapter 14 of john we went over that the bible declares that jesus is the power of god in 1 corinthians 1 24. i read that the already bible already equates him as the power of god okay now god's power is infinite, and Almighty. Jesus having that omnipotence then makes him God, and it actually relates the right hand and right arm of God to Jesus Christ. One in the same, okay? They are one in the same. So the Bible in the book of Isaiah, there's several chapters, several verses that do this, identifies Jesus Christ as the right arm or right hand of God. In other words, as the power of Almighty God. Please understand it. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's there. Now now look at this. Uh, Next slide. Angels, authorities, and powers are subject to Jesus. This is in 1 Peter. Uh, Jesus has all power over principalities, powers, dominions, and names. This is in Ephesians. Jesus has the power to forgive sin, offer salvation, and allow repentance. Now, I think that's interesting because the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the fact that only God is the Savior. Okay? So Jesus having those capabilities then indicates he is God. There's one. Okay? Why does he have all the power? Because he is God. He has all the power of God because he is God. Now... When, G- when it talks about, in the Bible, when it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, what that's dealing with is His role as the Savior, it's completed. Okay? That's what that's dealing with. In other words, He came in, God came in, and He did that. And after Christ went to the cross and ascended, that role, He completed That role, he vanquished our sins through his blood. All we have to do is take on his name in baptism. And so that power to do that is fulfilled at that point in time. And that's what that's dealing with. Okay. Now. In Acts chapter seven, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute. um, Stephen saw the image of the invisible God, i.e. Jesus Christ. Okay. And he saw God's glory. What did he not see? He did not see a physical right hand, though the Bible said that Jesus Christ was at the right hand of God. Nor did he see two deities in heaven. There was not God and Jesus. All he saw was Jesus as God. Okay, please. That, and that's what the scripture says. Now, well, let me, just, let me go on. I'm wanting to jump ahead so bad. All right, Christ is actually revealed as the right arm or right hand of God in the book of Isaiah. Now, here... Um, I'm going to read these. I just can't not, okay? These, these are, and these are not on your slide. These are some of those beautiful scriptures in the Word of God. In Isaiah 52, 6 and 10, verse 6 says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know it in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Verse 10 of that same chapter says, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Well, who do they see? Who do we see? Jesus Christ. How did God wrought that salvation? Through the power of his right arm by becoming the Christ. You follow that? Isaiah 51, or excuse me, Isaiah 53. This whole chapter about deals with that. I'm only going to read three verses out of it. This one actually identifies Jesus Christ point blank as the right arm of God. Verse 1 says, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, if you read through the rest of those scriptures, it's all talking about Jesus Christ. But I'm going to read four and five just so you, you believe me. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse five says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. There's no question who that's talking about. Well, he just got identified as the right arm of God, the power of God. I like this one, Isaiah 59. uh, I'm gonna read verse one and I'm gonna read 15 through 17. It says, behold, in verse one, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So again, we're talking about the right hand and the right arm of God in salvation. Okay, verse 15, I'm gonna read the second part of that. It says, then the Lord saw it. What did he see? If you go back and you read the scriptures before that, he's looking at the sins of Israel and the sins of humanity. This got me. This, in other words, he. I believe he looked forward to me. He looked forward to you. And, and, and this is what it says. Um, it says that he looked for, it says the Lord saw it and it displeased him. Now look, that there was no justice. Verse 16, I'm going to skip down. It says he saw that there was no man. Guys, you can't shed blood for missions of sin without a fleshly sacrifice. He said and wondered that there was no intercessor. Who's my intercessor? Christ. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own. Mm. Y'all catch that. Then it says in verse 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. It's talking about his role as the Messiah and the Savior. He brought his power to fruition to remit my sins. Never doubt that Jesus Christ is the right arm and right hand of God in all its glory. All right, next slide. Let's switch gears and talk about the power and wisdom of God for a minute. So in... Corinthians 1 20, 1 Corinthians 124 and 1 Corinthians 130 and 31. I'm not going to read them, but the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as both the power and wisdom of God. Okay? Um, wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it without having been taught to do it. Wisdom is really an inherent concept of, you know, who you are. You're either wise or you're not. Okay, so this is tying back into the logos again. And it's tying into the omnipotence of God as well. Now, the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter three that the wisdom of God would be made manifest and known to us as Jesus Christ. Well, there's a surprise. You know, if it says that Jesus is the wisdom of God, it says, for he became wisdom from God for us. So it was manifested to us. I mean, okay, in the Bible it says that no man has ever known the mind of God, can't know it. But the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. God has disclosed that part of his logos to us so we can have it, so we can understand him. Nobody's going to understand the fullness of the mind of God. That's not happening. But we can relate to God through Jesus Christ. Christ is the wisdom, the mind, and the thoughts of God put into action and physical manifestation, ultimately for my salvation and your salvation. Next slide. Now, here, here's, this, one's, this one's neat. I like this. This is exciting. Okay, so God used his wisdom in creating the world. It says that in several scriptures. Yet the Bible states that God created all things, including the world, through Jesus Christ. Well, is not Jesus Christ the wisdom of God? Do we just identify that? God created the heavens and the earth by his right hand and arm. Several scriptures say this. And his power. Is not Jesus Christ the right arm of God? <laughs> do we not just do that? <laughs> I love this. I absolutely love it. See, we're going to start to put all the pieces together now, guys. And we're just getting started in that. I'm telling you, there is no other doctrine save one God. Mm. Does God not accomplish everything through his power? He is the Almighty. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Almighty power of God. If you take 1 Corinthians one twenty four and Revelation 1 and 8, that's what it tells you. I just... It's there. Next slide. I like this one here. It says, God speaks and acts through His wisdom and after the counsel of His own will. So ask yourself... You know, your will is just what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, what's in your mind to, you know, whatever, you, whatever it is you're looking at working or have happening or your desires, okay? If Jesus Christ is the logos, the mind, the wisdom, the will, the very essence of who God is how on earth can he be separate from God and he can't be you can't be a distinct your mind and your nature your your will can't be a distinct thing from you it is you and there's there's no two ways about it right, next next slide please so let's talk about some controversial scriptures Genesis 126, 322, 11 and 7, Isaiah 6 and 8, these scriptures all refer to God in a plurality. You know, I'll read Genesis 126. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. And and a lot of people run with that. Um I just want to talk about what that really means. One thing to keep in mind is that the very next scripture, Genesis one twenty seven says, and God made man in his image in the singular. So, I mean, did somebody who was, you know, being impressed to write this get it wrong? No. So, possible explanations, and i got two of them that I know are, I believe are right, so we'll deal with this. Uh, One is that God was consulting with the angels. Um, This is what the Jews believe. The angels were present during creation, the Bible says that. I don't really think that's it, but, I mean, it's plausible. Okay? Uh, It could be in reference to God's royalty and majesty. Which there's a lot of words for God that the Hebrews use that implied royalty and majesty, and that is oftentimes addressed in the plural. That's just that's just the way of things. Okay, it could be that. Again, I don't don't really think that's necessarily it. Could be God and the righteous um, together. Isaiah six and eight also would fit into that. Again, I don't really think that's it. But the two I do think are it are these future arrival of the future arrival of the Son, of the Christ. The only image God would have had of himself would be Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And we were created in that image. So, I mean, you know, that's all he had to compare to. But this is the one I like. God was counseling with his own will or wisdom. In Ephesians 1.11 it says, God works everything after the counsel of his own will. He counsels with himself. Haven't you ever been thinking and say, you know, let's go to the store? That's in the plural, but I guarantee you, you're the only one going. Okay? I really think that's all God did. Whatever it was, it wasn't a multiplicity of deities. Next slide. Scriptures such as John 14 and 23 and John 17 and 21, there's a bunch of these that use the terms us, our, and we are not a depiction of a multiplicity of deities or persons. They are simply referring to, in almost every case, not every case, the deity and humanity together. Okay? That's it. I mean, that's the simple explanation for that. Sometimes, and you know this if you read in there, sometimes Jesus spoke from the deity side, sometimes he spoke from his flesh. That's okay. The Bible says he's fully God, fully man. Uh 1 John 5 and 7, um, I'm not going to read that statement I have up there. Um, some, will, some will take that and say, well, okay, here's, here's a multiplicity of entities here. It says, um, and there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Um, okay, so really interesting sideline tangent on that if I've got time. I'm going to make time. Um, and you go back and you look at the original texts, um, and a lot of them, First John 5 and 7 wasn't there. You only have it in some of the more recent texts of uh, of, of of those scriptures in John. And what's believed is it was added later. Now, the Bible says that God has kept his hand on his translation. His truth endures to all generations. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. His word is above his own name. There's no way that God let anybody put something in there that wasn't meant to be there. God had to allow that to get inserted. And and I love it because if you break it down and you look at it, it's a one God scripture. Okay? The three titles are in reference to the nature of Jehovah the Father, God, or Jehovah Himself, the Word, His mind, His thoughts, and His will, and the Holy Spirit, which is His Spirit. No kidding, they're one. There's no distinction there. You're just talking about attributes of one being. So it's a oneness, beautiful oneness scripture. time my next my next part of is the mystery of god in this but i don't have time to get into it so it's a little bit it's it's a couple minutes early um but i'm gonna stop there because if i start this i'm not gonna want to stop and then uh, <laughs> hey i got hey i did good i got through half i got through half a part too okay <laughs>